0: we They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Doc. And this is Jukebox. And we're talking to you from the parking lot of a TGIF because we are excited about June 3rd alone season eight coming out your favorite podcast hosts are back with your favorite show yes you might know us from the john freaking Mirror pod but we also have a, another podcast called solitude and it is the companion podcast to the hit survival uh, adventure series on the history channel alone strap in get comfortable be prepared as we break down each episode every week provide our expert analysis and make some predictions about who we think is going to take the ultimate prize Hiking is not escapism, it's realism. The people who choose to spend time outdoors are not running away from anything. We are returning to where we belong. Jennifer Farr Davis.
2: But the night that I was, I was camped out by this outhouse, there's no water or anything nearby. And I had a little bit to get through the day, but I wasn't eating and I was really pushing fluids. And I got so thirsty that night at 3 a.m. I reached back and I, I had, I carried contact fluid with me. And so I, I thought in my dehydration that like, ah, maybe, you know, this is saline. It's got a little bit of salt in it. I think maybe this would be something good to drink. And so I poured, just squirted a little bit in my mouth and nope, that's, that's not going to help the situation at all.
1: I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Mirpod. Let's start off with the obligatory reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, who I am very excited to talk to. Our guest today has two of the American Long Trails under his belt, and he is looking to put the third notch in his belt in a very big way. I don't want to give too much away up front. You're just going to have to stick around and listen to the entire episode if you want to hear about this. All right. He is also our first guest to have a college degree in wilderness leadership and experiential education, which I'm guessing has something to do with this trail name. Welcome to the John Freak and Muir Pod, Carl Stanfield.
2: All right. Hey, Doc. Good to be here.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Carl.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's, it's good to be chatting about trail stuff. Um, I, I'm coming at you down here from Alabama, and so there's a little bit of an outdoor community down here. Not as much as I'd like, so stuff like this is good to stay connected.
1: Okay. Now, I alluded to your trail name, uh, but I didn't mention it. What is your trail name?
2: Yes, yes. My trail name is Professor, or everyone just calls me Prof.
1: Prof. Okay, so that's an acceptable shortening of Professor, just Prof.
2: Yeah, I'm all about just single abbreviation or single uh, syllable names. That's great.
1: Yeah, I am. I, I chuckle a little bit because I'm reminded of uh, 127, who I talked to at the end of season one, and he got his his name his his trail name because he got stuck on a uh, uh, his leg got stuck between two logs on a bridge, and he was stuck there by himself for. Twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes, and he told the story a couple times. And somebody said, "Oh, you mean like that guy that that got caught? His arm got pinned by a boulder, and they made the movie about it, 127 hours." And so he got stuck with the trail name 127. I had to ask him, you know, is it is it what's the official? Is it 127? Is it is it 127? Is it 127? And uh, inevitably, uh, us us hikers out there, they always want to go with the the shortest uh version of the trail name so he was he was 127 so yeah perfect if you've got a polysyllabic trail name and something dangerous is happening it it might take just a split second too long for your your trail family to call out to you and and warn you of that so i could see the the value in that
2: yeah yeah that's a good point we're all about finding shortcuts to things aren't we
1: hey prof have you had a chance to listen to the podcast
2: yeah. Yeah. I've listened to a handful of episodes now.
1: Okay. So you know that there is a regular segment called the pro tip inside of the week that comes towards the end of the episode. I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to say, Hey prof, what is your pro tip inside of the week? What little tip, uh, trick, secret piece of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience that much more epic? So don't be surprised when we get there.
2: Cool. Good deal. I think I got one ready for you.
1: Okay. Very good. And I, th- I realized that I I didn't ask you the 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 story behind the trail name. Is it because of your education background?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. So I got it on the first long trail that I hiked was the Appalachian Trail um, back in 2018. And so I um, first few guys I was hiking with there, you know, we talked about our background a little bit. So that had come out that I had gone to school for that. Um, and so that that was part of it. But then the other part of it was I'm I'm just. Um, such a big planner of everything that i I was kind of putting together we weren't even like really officially hiking together yet but i was kind of talking about different things that we could do and, and different ways we could break down like all right we can get to this town in this many days if we do this and and that sort of thing different options and so uh we were hiking together it was at towards the end of the first week um and a couple of my buddies had caught up to me um at a shelter i just left a little bit before they did that day I came up and said hey we've been talking i think we got your trail name figured out we were just talking trying to figure what we're going to do the next few days and we just said you know we don't even have to worry about it we'll just ask the professor when we catch him
1: nice very good so you have a very sequential and orderly approach to your planning for these long trips
2: yeah yeah so i i found i, I really like to have a really detailed plan for everything like i, I just enjoy the process of coming up with the plan um, but with, you know, with through hiking, it's all about being adaptable. So I like having a plan. And I know that it's definitely not going to go the way that I've planned it. <laughs> but that's part of the plan. So I yeah. like I find something there to, to, to just go from and then knowing it's not going to go that way. But I'm okay with that
1: yeah so you've hit upon two of the things that uh, have come up repeatedly on the podcast, and that is half of the fun or maybe just as much fun as the hike itself is planning and preparing for the hike, all the research, all the you know the spreadsheets the the food prep the you know the, the, the campsites uh, all planned out, and so that's, that's half of the fun at least and. Yeah, then- absolutely. And then the other other thing I like to say is a quote from Mike Tyson, who used to say that everybody's got a game plan till you get punched in the mouth.
2: Yeah, yeah, spot on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you could have the best plan, and day one uh, something comes up, and you don't hit your your mileage, and all of a sudden you have to adjust. And and that's why you said you've got to be adaptable. Very good. Yeah
2: yep yeah, yeah exactly. We kind of got to the point you know with, with my my first trail family where we'd be especially like with hitching we we'd talk about because we had you know just some wild hitches that, that we'd come across as you do um that we, we'd get to that and like have a day where we needed a hitch to get into town and just the just staying positive like things would either go the way that we hoped they would and we'd get what we wanted or we'd get a really good story out of it it was always one of the two. <laughs>
1: Very good. I'm looking forward to some good stories and we're going to get to your AT hike and your, your PC type, PCT hike a little bit later. Um, but before we get there, got a, little more, a few more things to talk about. And one is another regular feature we're doing called the must bring gear review. And here's how it works. Uh, if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you have a specific brand for that piece of gear, even better. So prof, what's your, your must bring can't do without piece of gear.
2: Cool. Yeah. Great question. Um, I, I, I love gear. I love trying out all kinds of uh, different types of gear. Um, and so I've kind of thought about this question a little bit and I, the, the biggest thing that I think that I like, even though I've tried alternatives is I I'm a tent person. I love having a tent. Um, I've, and I've tried different ones and there's, you know, I've got some that I really like. I've used um, Gossamer Gear Tents for a while. Um, <clears throat> and I've tried a tarp, and I, and I like a lot of things about tarp camping, but especially, like, for long-distance hiking, I feel like at the end of the day, like, if I'm going to be living there for a long time, a tarp feels like a shelter, and a tent feels like a home. Like, just being inside a tent at the end of the day, I just I think it, re- it just feels a little bit homier than a tarp does. And I, like I said, I love a lot of things about a tarp, but I, I really like um, – like just the feeling of camping and the nostalgia of being in a tent and all that stuff um and so i, I a tent would be my go to piece gear. I love having a tent when i 'm out camping
1: okay fair point point. and what uh what type of tent do you prefer? Do you have a particular brand what What has been the evolution of your your tent game over the years
2: yeah sure so i I started out um backpacking uh at the just after high school and carrying like a like a five pound north face tent. Um, and then I, I, got, uh, got, a see a big Agnes copper spur too. That's a, a good three person tent or a two person tent, um, three pound, two person tent, um, that I, I, I really like. that's, you know, a lot more lightweight than what I was used to. Um, and enjoyed that either by myself or with somebody else. And then, you know, researching for a through hike, I came across these trekking pole tents and was really excited about those and looked at a bunch of them and just decided to try out Gossamer Gear's tent uh, the one and so that's that's the one that I've used for all my AT hike and most of my PCT hike was in uh, the one by Gossamer Gear but I uh, I I also really like taking a, a freestanding tent those are pretty nice to have sometimes too so I, I I I like mixing it up
1: and so how much is how much does the Gossamer Gear one weigh
2: oh the um, I think the 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 version that I used on the AT was right at about a pound and a half Uh, about 24 ounces and then of course they got the dcf1 now that's under a pound um and that's great i'm really excited about that i was able to get my hands on one of those um over over uh the holiday season and so i think that's what i'll be using for some time to come is that one
1: nice that's awesome and so what what is your what is your through hiking kit way out at what is your uh, base weight
2: yeah so I've, i've tinkered around with it and as i'm playing with new stuff i'm usually somewhere in the range of like nine to 12 pounds, some, somewhere in that kind of sweet spot.
1: Okay. Very good. And so what is the, what, what's your sleep system look like?
2: Yeah. So I, um, and I really love, uh, a foam pad. Um, I love everything about it, uh, except for that. It's not comfortable. <laughs> so I, want, I want to try to love it. I want to love it so much. I, and I, I can, you know, if I'm really exhausted, I can get okay sleep on it but I just do so much better on an inflatable pad. So I, I usually have an inflatable pad. I'll play around. I, I keep trying to make myself like a foam pad, but I I like an inflatable pad. Um, I've really liked Nemo's pads. They've held up really well for me over the years. Um, so I got an inflatable Nemo pad. And then um, I haven't tried too many different um, quilts or sleeping bags because I got an Enlightened Equipment revelation, uh, 20 degree before I went out on the AT and I, I've loved it. And it's lasted all the way through the AT and the PCT and it's still going strong.
1: If it works if, or if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So there you go.
2: Yeah, exactly. That. And then also about 700 miles into the AT, I picked up an inflatable pillow and I love it. I'm, I'm a pillow guy. I love having it.
1: Yeah, for for a number of hikes, I said, you know what, I'm gonna go, you know, multi-use. I'm gonna I'm gonna take my one of my stuff sacks and and fill it up with, uh, uh, you know, clothes and use that as a pillow. But there's there's no substitute for a, a good inflatable pillow on the trail.
2: Yeah, it really makes a lot more of a difference than I thought that it would.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Prof. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about your origin story. Uh, you know, background, where you grew up, kinds of hobbies and sports you involved in. Uh, was outdoor adventure part of your life growing up? Did your parents take you on trips like this at all? So just kind of take us through all that.
2: Cool. Sure. So, um... I grew up, my, my parents and my grandparents had a really good love for the outdoors. And so my, my mom's parents, especially, they retired around the time I was real little. And they, they bought a motor home and drove from Alabama all the way to Alaska and back. So that was, that was a cool adventure that my family had done. Um, and I, I grew up in East Tennessee um, over right just next to the Smokies. Um, so for being in the Southeast is not a bad spot to be um, as mm-hmm. far as good outdoor opportunities. And so, not really a ton of hiking growing up, but uh, my family spent a lot of time. You know, we usually take a week or weekend or something most summers to go out and camp somewhere, um, and just being out and being comfortable in a tent and being, um, you know, just just out of the house a little bit and, and in an outdoor environment. That my my uh, my parents and I've got one younger sister all enjoyed being there together. Um, so uh, doing some of that growing up, so being comfortable in that kind of environment, and then I love summer camp growing up. I've been going to summer camp, working at summer camp since I was eight years old. Um, And so staying in a cabin, but, you know, spending my summers outside, um, doing that sort of stuff. And then I also grew up pretty into sports. So I played some soccer, but basketball was my main sport. Um, And so I played basketball from the time I was pretty little, about eight or nine, um, up until, up through high school. Um, And I, I was always the tallest uh, in my, my grade. So that was really helpful. And so, uh, I'm, I'm six feet now and I have not grown since the day I turned 13. Uh, so the time I was 13, I was six feet tall. And so I thought like, man, this is great. I'm going to keep growing. I, you know, I got a shot at a, maybe a professional career, playing basketball. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, one summer I stopped growing. Everyone else kept growing and then realized like, Oh, if I'm not the tallest person out there. I'm not sure if I'm actually that good at this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and how tall is your dad and mom?
2: Uh, my dad's right at six feet. Also, he did the exact same thing, just shot up like weed and then stopped. Um, and then my mom is, um, I don't know, about five, nine or so. So, you know, average height, a little bit taller than average parents, um, but just good quick genes of growing, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah sprouted up early and just kind of stopped. Got it. All right. So when did you first experience the idea of through hiking, when did that come into your consciousness?
2: Yeah, uh, good question. So i I got really into backpacking in maybe the second half of high school. About the time I was sixteen or so, um, uh, the summer camp that I was going to, we'd take some trips um, off site, and so we went to uh, a place in Georgia. I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, or, oh, actually, no, there's there's one spot. But then the main place, we'd always stay Vogel State Park. that's just right across from Neil Gap there at the start of the AT. Um, and so we went out, and uh, that, that's where I learned about the AT. It was through the summer camp that I'd, I'd grown up going to was what I kind of connected the pieces that way. Mm-hmm. And so found out that, like, saw Neil Gap and saw, like, all the, the boots that are hanging there and the tree and that people hike for really long distances. Man, that's really cool. That, that's crazy. People did that or used to do that. I didn't even really know that people still did that. That was a thing that was going on um so that kind of planted the seed of like oh man it would be cool to live out of a backpack for a little bit um and so I started collecting the gear over a couple of Christmases in high school and then finally by the time I graduated high school I was ready to go out for a little bit um and so my dad planned a trip for the two of us and neither of us had been backpacking but he he got all the maps and did all that and borrowed a backpack from one of his his friends at work um and got all the gear together and packed up and you know as first-time backpackers do we had 40, 50 pounds each on our backs going out there. Um, and he picked a section of the AT to do that was uh, Fontana Dam up to Cleveland's Dome. So it's just over 30 miles and we we're going to do it over a few days. And um, I thought like, man, hiking like 10 miles a day, that really doesn't seem like all that much if that's all you're doing is walking. We should be able to do that easy and have plenty of time. But, man, with heavy packs, and um, I was really not in great shape by the end of high school, and i it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> I mean, even to this day, just, you know, once, one, like, experiencing it for the first time, um, it, it just kind of changes where your threshold is. Once you've done it some um, and know what, what your limits are, what is the most difficult changes and so to this day that was still one of the most difficult things i've done even though it was just 30 miles i mean you know i single days that are that long now but at the time that that was just like oh, i can't like it was so difficult and i was getting frustrated like i invested and i thought backpacking was going to be so much fun and i i don't know if i'm ever going to want to do this again <laughs> Uh, and just got real beat up about it. Um, but I mean, obviously not too much, you know, I kept it around and decided maybe if I tinker with some things, I can make my weight lower and I'll just go a little bit slower and all this other stuff. Um, so that, that was the first trip and, you know, planted a seed. And then from then on the dreams only grew and it became more tangible and now we are where we are. Yeah,
1: Prof. I believe you have just described the the same first experience that all multi-day backpackers uh, have. You know, they have that first yeah. experience out there, and they wonder themselves leading up to the trip. Hey, all all you're doing is just walking. I mean, that's all you're doing. just walking. How, how hard could it be? You know, we should be able to do ten miles a day. I, I remember having these same exact. And so that's why this is, this is so funny to me because I imagine that there are a lot of folks out there that have had these same internal conversations or conversations with their, their hiking buddies. Hey, we're just walking. We can do this. And then they get out there and they think, oh my gosh, what, what have I gotten myself into?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: All right. So what do you do to pay the bills right now?
2: Yeah. So I've, I've kind of jumped around, done a few things since college. Um, but currently I, I found myself, um, working at the, just a local outdoor store. So I'm a manager at Alabama Outdoors here in Birmingham, Alabama.
1: Very good. You get a discount?
2: Uh, yeah, I get a discount. I got pro deals. I, I have not paid full price for a piece of backpacking gear in a hot minute now. And it uh, it feels good.
1: <laughs> nice. We you know we talked to a lot of people who they, they got involved in backpacking and they, the first thing they do is they go to uh, an REI like store and dump a ton of money. And so I think REI has been the biggest benefactor of the, of the, you know, the resurgence or the, the increase in through hiking uh, across Mm -hmm. the country since wild came out. I think they have, they have rigged in a lot of money, but you, you have, you have done it the the right way. My, my friend, you, you have gotten yourself a job at one of those stores, not REI, but REI like, and uh, taking advantage of that discount. Well done.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I knew after the AT, this is going to be something I wanted to keep doing for a while. And so I thought, man, if I'm going to be doing this and investing more, I, I better just do something that connects me to some part of it um, and, and gets it so I can stay involved and, and keep getting gear. Cause man, I, I just love collecting backpacking gear. So that's, it, it worked out well for me.
1: Very good. Now, in the intro, I alluded to your college degree in wilderness leadership and experiential education. Tell us about that. What what college was it? And you were a double major. That was just one of your two majors.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. So, I double majored in that, and music. Um, I I've, I've played saxophone since I was about 10 years old. Um, and I go in after high school, I kind of the two things that I really enjoyed doing were, um, being outdoors or, and at that time it was really more, even just wanting to be more involved with summer camps, not, not even as much the, the backpacking and, and other outdoor sports. Um, but then it also had pretty good success playing saxophone and thought, well, I'll keep following this and see what comes of it. And so I toured a bunch of schools all over the Southeast. Um, and then through a friend that I'd met at the camp, I grew up going to that had just started going to this college. Uh, it's called Brevard college in Brevard, North Carolina, um, tiny little school, um, they've grown since I was there. Uh, by the time I graduated, there were 700 total students. So just a, a little bitty um, college that's there um, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, so it's it's actually right there at, um, at, at Pisgah is kind of the, the little outdoor area that's right there. And it's the land of the waterfalls. So there's all kinds of great hiking. It's one of the I've seen it published as one of the top 10 mountain biking destinations in the country. Um, it's just kind of a little gym that's over there in in Western North Carolina. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a just a really pretty chunk of country. And, um, I found this really cool major <laughs> and so got to play outside and play music for college. And it was, it was a good time. I, I learned, learned a lot and got a good, um, um, uh, I guess pro- professional sort of uh, outdoor education, and, and got to learn how to do a lot of things. The 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 most uh, ideal ways to do them, as far as, as far as leave no trace practices and um, and all those other sorts of things.
1: Okay, before we get into the details of your major and what you learned, I, I have to ask: Is there an ultralight saxophone out there that you carry on the on your backpacking trips?
2: That uh, no, there is not. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've seen some that have been made, they're still not all that light, um, I've, I've played around and found some some lightweight instruments though that are, that are pretty cool that I can tinker around with, but I think what I've discovered uh, is that there aren't too many people that really want to hear that when you're going out, and so I thought at first when I was looking at the AT, like, oh, it'd be great to bring an instrument along, and then saw, like, I'm going to be surrounded by people, I don't think anybody wants to hear that at camp at the end of the day, I think I better just leave that at home. <laughs>
1: Oh, I had this great image of my in my mind of Prof carrying around his saxophone on the AT and then serenading his fellow campers out there, uh, in in the in the huts along the trail.
2: <laughs> yeah, that would be a trip. Um, I you know I I have my fingers crossed I'd find one in a hostel someday, but to this day still have not come across one.
1: Hey, looking for that random saxophone in a in, a, in a in one of the huts, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, tell us about the major. So what what did you learn as part of the wilderness leadership and experiential education? I know I you mentioned leave no trace. What other types of items, other types mm-hmm. of concepts? Yeah, it, it
2: was, I mean, it, it was just, it was great for people interested in this kind of podcast, especially like it's just kind of a dream major really is there were a bunch of hands-on classes. And so you take the the basic class. So it's, it's wilderness leadership and experiential education, but we smash all those letters together you know, we like a good abbreviation, and just called it Willie for short, so it's just called the Willie major, um, so the first class, you take is just Willie 101, and so you're going out, you do a little bit of everything, you got like a four-day lab, where you go out and paddle one day, rock climb one day, um, there's a little backpacking trip that's part of it, a little weekend trip, um, and it's a small school, so all these classes are no bigger than, than 10 people tops, so you're in, in small intimate groups uh, with people, um, the professors are, you know, love the outdoors, and love teaching, and so it's it's great people that, that I was involved with and got to learn from the whole time that I was there. Um but you take a number of you know the, the those courses and then some lab course lab courses I say in quotes. Um it's like backpacking 101, rock climbing 101, where you know you meet like once a week from one four hour shift and go out and, and learn and then go on one weekend trip. Um and then kind of the, the climax of the major is uh it's called the immersion semester. And it's, it's, again, it's a group of up to 10 students and one professor. And uh, the the whole semester, you're doing longer units. So like two weeks of paddling, uh, different bodies of water and different types of boats, week of uh, climbing, a number of backpacking trips. We got some certifications in there. So I I, um, got certified as a Leave No Trace Master Educator through the program, as well as a Wilderness First Responder, um, which I've, I've been able to keep up both of those. And those feel like they've been really handy to have as I've done all the the through hiking stuff, um, but you're doing that stuff. And then you also have uh, classroom days where you and, and the other students are planning and you've got um, certain parameters you're working within, but you're planning a 21 day expedition that you're going to lead um, with a professor. That's going to be there to just make sure that, you know, you don't kill yourselves out there. Um, but for the most part, students are leaders and they, they let you make mistakes. If you pick the wrong trail, the professors don't correct you and you just got to figure that out on your own. So it was a great environment to, to, Learned some of this stuff in that really um, set me up well to through hike ultimately. And so the trip that we planned, it was uh, was a four days of paddling the French Broad River, um, a couple days caving and then 15 days of backpacking.
1: Wow, that sounds like an incredible college major. I mean, that's that I would look forward to going to school every day if that was my major.
2: Yeah. It, like I said, it's just like, man, I'm just lucky to have found this place. And it was, it was such a great experience and just, yeah, just really naturally led right into through hiking. I mean, it, I, was, I was set up so well for it by the time I came around to it. So
1: let me, let me ask you a, a question that I know that's out there on everybody's mind, other than preparing you to be a, a, a fantastic through hiker, what else, what else can you do with this degree? What are the, yeah. what are the career options? So-
2: Right. So that gets more into kind of the experiential education side of things. So there's also a lot of talk about um, teaching and facilitating. Um, a lot of people have gone on to be uh, different types of guides or work in like wilderness therapy um, or, or even just to, to be educators in some capacity to work, you know, like in a, a Montessori school type setting. Um Something like that. So it's 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 for you know folks that are, are serious about wanting to do something in the field um, and that are determined to find a, a route to it. And so yes, people are going out being guides, working and living all over the country, doing doing cool jobs.
1: Very good. Now you mentioned four days of paddling, fifteen days of backpacking. Tell me about the caving. What is the, what's involved in caving?
2: Oh yeah, sure. So we we found a cave. Um, I think someone in my group maybe had a connection to. Um, but we we went and there's a little campground outside the cave. So we camped out outside of it. Um, and then the professor was familiar with it. And so he took us on a tour of the cave and showed us kind of how to guide it the, the first day and took us through it. Um, and so we we kind of he gave us the maps and showed us all that and everything. And so then we came back out, spent the night outside the cave and then went back in and then, you know, just gave us the reins and kind of told us, like, you know, you guys have some – Take some turns guiding and and you know kind of see what what that would be like with you're in the lead now that you've seen the route once um and just to get a feel for for what that might be like.
1: Okay, and is there any guiding in your future as a career?
2: Um, I I'm not sure. I, I think there there certainly could be. Um, I've I've done a little bit already. Um, after after I graduated college, I moved to uh, to Washington State to live and work at a camp there. Um, and so i I'd, I'd actually gone there one summer in college already and so I had some connections there, and then after I graduated college, um, I was actually set to go to grad school. I was going to go to um, Colorado University at Boulder for music education right after I graduated college, um, and I, I was applying to work at some camp in Colorado to make some new connections there, and so I reached out to the, the, um, my, uh, my boss that I had at the, the camp in Washington uh, to be a reference, and she said, well, yeah, I'd be happy to be a reference, but I would rather you Came back up here and led our uh, offsite adventure program for the summer, and so I said, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna follow that, and and school can wait a little bit." So I went to Washington, and then ended up doing that for a summer, and so um, led led some trips. It's you know, it's mostly um, uh, a a stay in camp, I guess you'd say, um, but. I got to go off-site and lead different trips. So, you know, do some climbing stuff, do some paddling stuff. Uh, there was, there was a really experienced guy that was there that had been doing the program forever that would still do one trip out of the summer. That was the mountaineering trips. And so I got to do a little bit of mountaineering while I was up there. And so there was one guy that kind of knew the route and would guide that. And then I kind of helped out with, with uh, one other person to help just guide the people and, and, and lead everybody along and you know, manage the gear, cook the food, all that kind of stuff. So I got to do really kind of some second, secondhand guiding, um, but still get to be part of the process. And that, that was a lot of fun.
1: Okay. Some favorite memories uh, from the Pacific Northwest.
2: Um, yeah. The snow there was just unreal. I mean, growing up in the Southeast, I hadn't seen anything like it. <laughs> uh, and so, especially living at this camp, I was 45 minutes from the nearest grocery store. And so, you know, I'd park in the parking lot and then I just kept a sled in my car and would have to drag all my groceries back up to my house at the end of the day, whenever I'd go out to reload. <laughs> so that was, that, that was pretty wild. Um, I Friday nights, I was sitting out by a barrel fire with a walkie talkie. We didn't have phones there. So I, I'd get a call on the walkie talkie when a guest group was getting close. And I sat out there in a bulldozer that pulled a giant sled and I'd help people load up and then drag this bull, drive this bulldozer around the camp, dry, drop people off at the cabins. Um, I'd be on call 24-7 so that they usually meant like on weekends when when groups were in in the winter i'd get a call at 11 o'clock hey we can't start a fire could you come over here and help us out a little bit so i was was on call to go start fires um which you know got a, a little bit uh i don't quite want to say annoying but you know had its moments but over oh, like looking back on it like it, it's very like that was a cool job i got to do while i was there
1: off. If so it was if it was annoying, you can say it's annoying. You're you're allowed to speak freely here on the podcast. It's just it's just you and me. Don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, at the time, maybe a little bit. Looking back on it, no, it was it was great.
1: Okay, very good. So how long? How long was it? Just a summer summer job?
2: Uh, it, well, it was a summer job. It turned into a year long internship. It turned into being the full time program director. So I ended up Got being it. there about years.
1: All right. Very good. Hey, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear from the prof about his AT hike in 2018 and his PCT hike in 2019. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for podcasters. And here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Prof. Uh, about his experiences out on the trail we got heard about his background and growing up and his outstanding Willie major at uh, brevard college and now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of some of his long hikes so you took on the at in 2018 this is your first long trail experience right
2: yeah yeah that's the one
1: okay and when you went into the at it's 2200 miles georgia to maine did you go northbound or southbound I went north northbound okay and how were you feeling how, what was your confidence level I mean you are a Willie major after all what, yeah. what's, your conf, what's your confidence level going into the AT
2: yeah I um I think I was in a good place for it I, I think I had uh, a healthy amount of confidence I, I was definitely I was um not positive at all I mean I, I knew the numbers and I knew I took that into account for sure but I knew like especially doing the research um realizing that like a lot of people are coming into this without very much experience and a lot of them can make it um, and, and do make it every year. And I I think I've got the drive for this. I think that's a really important part. Um, I'm, I think I'm okay with taking care of myself. I was a little bit worried that I might get some kind of overuse injury from just kind of not knowing when to stop. Um, but I felt like I had a pretty good amount of knowledge. Um, and then I have just been fortunate to know a lot of folks and have met a lot of folks that um, either that, that live along the AT. And so reaching out on, you know, posting on social media, like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. So many people all the way up the trail reached out and said, Hey, when you get to this part of the trail, let me know, I'll come help you out. And so I felt like I had, um, especially the first half of the trail, I knew a lot of folks. I felt like I was going to have training wheels for the first while that I would always be within a couple hours drive of somebody that I knew if something really went wrong. Um, and so I felt pretty safe because of that. Um, I I felt relatively comfortable with my experiences having been outside. And then I also, I did a lot of research, um, going into the trail. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, learned a lot about gear and kind of had a pretty good idea of what the the most common gear setup was. And so I had a a pretty good base weight going into the AT2, um, which felt good.
1: And was that in the nine to 12 pound range?
2: Yeah, it, it was right around 12 pounds starting the at
1: Okay. So I think these stats are that a quarter of the people who start the AT finish the AT. So one in, one in four. And I think you, mm-hmm. you, you I would think that, you know, if I were you, I would say to myself, well, one in four, I'm going to be one of those one in four just because of my background knowledge about the subject. Heck, I've got a major in it.
2: Yeah. 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 So like I said, I felt pretty decent about it, but also as far as everything that was in my control, um, but I, you know, I think one of the biggest things that takes people off is definitely things that are out of their control. I mean, there's plenty of people that just don't have the experience or didn't quite save up well enough or, or have, you know, even if it's not that they run out of money from other financial issues coming up. Um, but just plenty of like injuries happening or I, I think one of the most the biggest things I was worried about was not even myself. I'm, I'm a really cautious hiker. I, I, I hike pretty carefully. Um, I was worried about something at home happening you know, like a a family member getting hurt or hospitalized or something like that and feeling the need to get off trail or or having to make the decision to get off trail, to be supportive. Um, and so that just, just the things that were out of my control, I was still definitely very um, cognizant of and uh, a little bit scared of all the way up until I was climbing down Katahdin.
1: (laughs) That's right. It only takes one misstep, one little accident uh, that's outside of your control and now you're injured and you can't, you can't go any further. And yeah, I was, exactly. I was talking to uh Jeff Garmeyer, who goes by legend, he did the, the calendar triple crown triple crown, <clears throat> where he did all three long trails in, in one calendar year. And I just remarked to him that you know not only do you have to be you know a, a super endurance athlete to, to kind of do that task but you also have to be very lucky because you know that's a lot that's thousands upon thousands of miles and it just takes one one wrong step or uh you know one accident to take you off the trail so good point yeah
2: yeah i definitely think luck is an important part while successful through hikes okay or at least a lack of bad luck
1: <laughs> that's right lack of bad luck don't, don't necessarily need good luck just no bad luck Okay. And so did the AT go as expected for you? Were there any, any surprises on the trail?
2: Oh, plenty. Yeah. I mean, I was still, um, I, I think I had a decent idea of what it was going to be like. Um, but even having a decent idea of what it was going to be like, just relative to most people, I still hadn't kind of no idea what to expect <laughs> or what it's actually going to like feel like, um, just emotionally and physically, Uh, And all that stuff while you're out there, I was still nervous of whether or not I'd actually make friends and have people to hike with setting out alone. Um, that, you know, that got taken care of pretty early on. I mean, starting in the popular season on the AT, there's so many people, surely there's going to be someone you end up hiking with. Um, and then I was, you know, a lot of people reached out and said, Hey, I'll see you when you're on the trail. And like, you know, I said like, yeah, thanks. That'd be great. But then kind of thought like, ah, we'll see. Like I know, my schedule is going to be kind of busy, and it's tough to line up with people. But man, so many people did come out and and helped to be part of my through hike in some capacity, um, and that that was great. Like it, it was especially having lived in the Pacific Northwest for a while, that coming home was a little bit like a, com- uh, a a homecoming of coming back and hiking through the Southeast, especially like getting started of seeing like college friends I hadn't seen in a long time, um, even high school friends that were still kind of in the area. I just just seeing lots of of people that I had made some kind of connection with at some point in my life and getting to go out there and and reconnect with them during that really meaningful journey for me. Um, I was, I was hopeful that that would happen, but I was very pleasantly surprised by the numbers in which people came out to see me. It was, it was great. I felt just so supported.
1: And so you started out solo. Did you pick up a tramily?
2: I I did. Yeah. I was hiking with uh, somebody by the end of the second day that I was out there. Um, and was, was with people for the, the most part and kind of the trend of my hikes. So I, I mostly hiked with the same people, except for uh, people, a couple of folks getting off trail, um, all, all pre-planned for the most part. I, I just had some kind of good luck of like the people that I was hiking with ended up being people that ended up going the whole way. So I hiked with uh, one girl it's one of my, my best hiking friends, uh, big money. I hiked half the AT with, and she had done the Northern half the year before. So she was finishing her flip flop. Um, and finished within a year. so it still got to be a through hiker, which is great. And then I ended up hiking half the PCT with her as well. So like met people early on that I'd go on to hike thousands more miles with. Um, but I, the, the truth was her, I'd be with people did, for a while. Did you say,
1: name, you say her name was big money?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Big money.
1: Big money. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She's out. She's sitting out to hike the CDT this year and finish up her triple crown. So she, okay. yeah, she's one to look out for. She's great. Um, okay. But so I, you know, I'd hike with people for a while, and I loved that. But then I would, um, I spent time with friends and family. So I'd get off trail for some stretches of time, and I liked playing catch up and being by myself, um, and going hiking fast and seeing what my limits are when I'm by myself, and then catching back up to friends and being with my family for a while. Um, and then doing something else, getting off trail or shooting ahead of trail cause I knew it was going to take time off. So I like kind of juggling back and forth between hiking with people that I, I really liked and then taking little breaks in there, um, to, to just have some solo time. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just a, a different ballgame hiking with people versus hiking by yourself, even not physically hiking with people during the day, but just planning out everything together and then getting to make your own plans entirely, is is just different and then also just the like the social dynamic is totally different of meeting people when you're part of a group and that's kind of part of your identity versus meeting people as this new persona and this new name that you have created for yourself and like i wonder who professor is going to be today when i meet somebody uh and just kind of learning a lot about myself through the times that i was alone and whenever i'd meet somebody and and see just who i was going to be that day and I, i i tended to while I was out there, I, I really liked who I found out that I was in those situations.
1: Right. Right. Now, what were the dates of your hike? When did you start? When did you finish? What was the duration?
2: Yeah. So I I set out for the AT on April 22nd and I finished on August 31st. And so I, I felt like that was a really, really nice gap. It was, it was maybe a hair on the, the quicker side. Um, but I, I started past the snow and most of the cold. I sent my down jacket home after the first week and never got it back again. And then finishing August 31st in Maine, it was starting to get chilly. My coldest night or my coldest experience on trail was probably my last morning waking up and doing Katahdin early. Um, but, you know, that's just the one morning. So everywhere in between there, it was, it was somewhere between hot and then comfortably cool. It was, it was a really good window.
1: So April 22nd to August 31st, that's a little over four months
2: yep yeah 132 days
1: that's a pretty good clip
2: it was it it was it was good it felt good it was a good balance of getting to move fast sometimes moving slow sometimes taking plenty of zero days it was it was a good mix It, it worked out well
1: how many zeros did you take
2: um i think i ended up taking 16 zero days across the course of the trail and i don't
1: know is that is that typical is that a typical number of zeros for the at
2: um i feel like it is i feel like that that's probably fairly average um Yeah, as far as I can tell, I think that's, that's probably on the average side.
1: All right, we're going to go with average on that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners who may, may not be familiar with the long trails and the, the, the hiking and the, the, all the, the terms that come with it, tell us what is a zero day and what do you do during a zero day? What, what, were the, what was the majority of your time taken up uh, doing during those 16 zero days?
2: Yeah, yeah. So zero day, it's when you hike zero miles on the trail. Um, so you got your zero days, you got your Nero days where you hike nearly zero miles, but still get to do a few in. Um, and then my favorite that I found out kind of later in hiking is a hero day, um, which is a day where you hike into town, you do everything you need to do in town, and then you still hike back out. And so you get to have a town day, but you're a hero because you don't get sucked into town. Um, so the things you do in town are resupplying and you you just got your your through hiking chores. So you got to do your laundry. You might want to take a shower. You're probably going to want to eat a meal out somewhere. Um, you're gonna, maybe you're definitely going to resupply. You might switch your gear up, um, make some phone calls while you're in service, um, post on social media, uh, all those sorts of things that you need to do when you've got cell phone service and you've got all the resources there and that are available.
1: So those 16 days are all town days?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. I didn't take any zero days on the trail on, on the AT. It was all spent in town or, or with a friend that was nearby. Um, but, but no hiking.
1: Okay. And did, you didn't have to take any because of injury?
2: Um, I actually did. I took a couple days. My longest stint, I took, I think I ended up having three full days off. Um, from the worst chafing that I have had or ever seen that I one of my biggest regrets on trails not taking a picture of it um, that I, I had really terrible chafing from not showering and having like wet salty shorts um, and hiking in the rain for a long stretch of time so I've been over a week without a shower and I was hiking in to see a friend and this was a friend that was an acquaintance in that they were a staff member at the summer camp I grew up going to when I was a camper and we had become Facebook friends. And that was 10 years ago. And I posted on Facebook that I'm doing this thing. And then she said, hey, when you get to Vermont, my husband and I will pick you up and you can stay with us in our apartment. I said, oh, that'd be great. Sure. Um, so I was, I was trying to book it to see her because I'd made that that appointment. And I, I was in bad shape when I woke up that morning. I mean, it, it had been a rough couple days but I got up and just hiked through the chafe and it, it occurred in my shorts where the lining met mm-hmm. and it just had this perfect kind of spot on it that rubbed my leg just right on, on both my inner thighs. And I, you know, I'm hiking in, in women's running shorts. So quite short, so quite high up the thigh. And so I'm hiking and it just rubbed my legs just so raw. I did, uh, I did 26 miles of just pure chafing and finally got to, um, the uh, the Vermont, New Hampshire border is where I finished up there um, at, at Dartmouth. And there was there was skin inside of my shorts that had come off and that was stuck in the lining. And so it was so bad I couldn't walk for a couple of days. <laughs> um, so I, I went up and I, I stayed in their apartment and I just kind of laid back for a few days and relaxed. Um, and then I went to the the nearest thrift store and bought a pair of basketball shorts that were a few sizes too large and then just hiked in that for so the next week while I was on trail, while I was letting my skin heal up a little bit. Um, but, uh, so that was only injury and that wasn't, I mean, you know, that, that's kind of like my own arrogance sort of injury. That wasn't like a, oh, I twisted my ankle or I, you know, anything like that. That was like, I'm going to power through this cause I want to go see this person and get off trail and i i did and i paid for it with a couple of days
1: yeah chafe danger is real it's a real thing
2: yeah yeah and that was the only time i really had it though it was just that one time that i let my shorts get too wet and too salty for too long and
1: you're lucky it was you're lucky it was inner thigh we had ib Tat on on the show a few episodes back and he shared a really unfortunate uh, chafe story that uh, yeah i I wince at now just thinking about it Oof. so yeah <laughs> yikes <laughs> All right. And so no, no feet injuries, no, uh, no big blisters or, you know, skin sloughing off your, your heel. We've heard of those, those incidents as well too.
2: Yeah, no, I was pretty fortunate. It was my first time really in trail runners. I'd, I'd done boots okay. before. And so I, you know, I got a couple of learning blisters as I was um, learning those and as my feet were learning those. But then after the first few weeks, I, my, my feet were, were really fine for the most part. It was great.
1: And what are your go-to trail runners for the long hikes?
2: Uh, I like the ultras. I like the lone peaks. Yeah. I've done, I've done pretty much all lone peaks. I did, I did temps one time, and they were fine. I just. I got them because I found them on sale somewhere. Um, but I've just, I'm mostly stuck to lone peaks, and they've treated me well.
1: Very good. Good choice. Good choice. Now, from your, from your time on the AT, 2,200 miles, that's a, that's a long way. Can you distill it down into three memorable moments?
2: Hmm. Um, yes, I'm sure that I can, I would say, that's that's uh, a good answer. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. 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 Next question. (laughs) Um, so let's see, I think I, maybe a little bit cliche, but the, the, just the day one, um, I've, I've gone to the visitor center. I've gone through the, the chat. And I had a, a cousin that hiked the Approach Trail with me. So we did the first 8.8 miles up to the top of Springer Mountain. And then I had an uncle that met us up there and took my, my cousin home. And so I hiked with them. And it, it was a rainy day in April. And then uh, finishing up after they drove off of like really realizing the feeling of setting out by myself and just that level of freedom and just having no obligations. I didn't have any kind of job lined up. I had nowhere that I needed to be anytime I had just indefinite time to hike and go on this trip like that that feeling is just something that i have been chasing ever since <laughs> it's just that level of freedom is just oh man it, it's great it, it's hard to describe it without having gotten to feel it and i, I got to feel it there
1: so i, I i'm interested in- I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that. You know, the moment you're alone and you've got, you know, 2,200 miles stretching in front of you, didn't know if you were going to say freedom or just the trepidation of knowing, you know, I'm on my own. It's like a double-edged sword, right? I'm on my own. Yes, that's awesome. I'm on my own. Oh no. And so any, any feelings of, uh, of doubt or worry at that point?
2: That I, I was on too much of a high at that point yeah. i didn't i didn't have much at that point it was um and i I was able to stay in a pretty good headspace of just taking it one day or one little section at a time just like we'll do these three days and get to town and then we'll worry about the next one after that um so i yeah I, I just got in such it and I, I have heard stories of, of so many other hikers experiencing the same thing. It's just having such a good mental headspace of being out there on the trail that just being able to stay positive pretty easily, that even the really terrible stuff is never really all that terrible in the moment. Um, you usually find some way to laugh at it, especially, you know, once you have other hikers that you're hiking with and can share that, uh, suffering with other people, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but in the beginning it, it was just, I just remember so much joy and excitement of being out there and, and making progress, even the little bits that it was, um, but that was—I I only remember positive feelings from that.
1: Okay, very good. That's one moment. How about two others? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and then another moment was was some of the best trail magic that I experienced, um, which was in um, in Virginia of at the the start of the Shenandoahs. I I should know this. I want to say it's Waynesboro, um, the town that you go into there, and we just stayed at a little hotel there. It was about to the bottom was about to drop out, and we had I was hiking in with in a group of ten at that point um and half of us had made it to the hotel and half of us were still back we went to check in um and they they were really friendly at the hotel um and like gave us a business suite so we'd have extra beds and encouraged us to all like pile in there together usually i'll say this as a disclaimer it's not cool to do that most of the time but these folks were were all about it and um i would say encouraged it for us so they they were just maybe too friendly about that (laughs) but they weren't they wanted us to do that and then the guy you know we said we were hikers we were in town we needed to resupply asking where stuff was he said you know it's a little bit of a walk from here to be able to get to the grocery store um i don't usually do this but here are the keys to my truck and you guys can take the truck and drive it around town and and get wherever that you need to go and we just we thought he was joking we just laughed at him and he said no please do i i don't get off work until six o'clock just have it back by then Um, don't put gas in it or anything. I just want you guys to be able to get around town. I love you guys are through hikers. So here's my, the keys to my truck. Like he, you know, he met us two minutes ago and then he was giving us his car for the day. So just, you know, there's plenty of other examples of people being like just wildly friendly, but, but that guy, especially just giving us his car. It's just like, I can't believe this is happening.
1: (laughs) Wow. That is fantastic. Do you remember the, the name of the establishment? You want to throw it out there?
2: oh man i I wish I did I might have it written down somewhere. I took pretty detailed notes in my okay. journals um so I can get it back to you for for show notes or something okay. um but that hotel and that guy that that was just that was an awesome experience there and then of course there's that um Chinese buffet that's in that town too that's that's excellent so that that was a really that was a great experience there
1: all right and number three
2: number three um I think the so I yeah I I I kind of like the the reflection and having the different pieces represent different parts of the hike. Um, so the very the last two weeks on trail were great. I had my my trail crew had dwindled down. It was um it was these three other girls and I. And I had been um, trying to catch up to them for a little bit. I had taken my three days off right when I got to New Hampshire. And so I was only supposed to be a day behind and I could catch up. And I thought like, oh, New Hampshire, everyone does low miles in New Hampshire. that would be a great place to catch up to people. Um, well, there's a reason people do low miles in New Hampshire. And so I spent all of New Hampshire by myself and I had a, a great time by myself. Some of my best experience were when I was alone. But catching up to the crew just past the 2000 mile marker um, in Maine, I, I met them up up with them in town we had a hotel room together we took our last zero day together and then knowing that like this is it this is the crew that we're going to finish with everything seems to be pointing to we can do it um we got two weeks left let's make the best of it and so we had this group that um i had met two of them as early as the the first week or, or first two weeks and had just kind of bounced around with them and we'd finally been mostly hiking together for most of before new Hampshire about you know, uh, six or 700 miles at least. Um, and so got, got up to them and then our other friend that that we had made along the way too. And so then the, the four of us, so it was, uh, Peaches and Jukebox who afterwards, um, started dating after the trail and I got to be there for their engagement this last fall. And so that, that was a really cool moment that happened with them. I got to be there for kind of them getting to know each other, um, before they were even dating or anything. That was great. And then our friend, um, Puff, who had hiked the PCT a couple times and the TA a couple times, so she was a, a seasoned through hiker. Um, and got to finish with the three of them, and just those last two weeks were just just a blast with like good people that I'd known and retelling all of our stories from different parts of the trail. And still, even at that point, telling a story about someone, and then one of us realizing like, oh, I met them here, and then just kind of putting together all the pieces. So it was a, it was a really nice finish to the hike of getting to reflect and spend really good time with friends at the end and having fine weather. Um, our Katahdin day was, was perfectly clear at the top. So we had a perfect summit day. Uh, it just all ended as well as I could have possibly written it up. It was great.
1: Very good. Now you, you mentioned a trail name in there that I had only heard one time before and it's because it's my son's trail name, jukebox. So
2: oh, there, okay. cool. There, are, yeah. there <laughs> are
1: multiple jukeboxes out there. Very good.
2: There are. Yeah. I think we, we made we even ran into a couple more, um, while we were out there. I think there were two or three that were out there that summer.
1: Very good. And now when you, when you were finishing up the AT, did you know at that point that you were going to do the PCT the following year? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You had made that <laughs> I decision.
2: It, I made that decision. And then I, uh, uh jukebox and peaches had also agreed to come along too uh and then big money also so we knew we had a little crew that we were pulling together that to like i'm serious about this are you serious about this i'm really gonna do it mm-hmm. you can come too i'm gonna do it so we had kind of talked a little bit and, and and pulled our 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 thoughts together and had decided so not even not i wasn't even alone and wanting to do this i still had a trail family that wanted the second chapter so that that made it all the more exciting
1: Okay, that was going to be my segue between the AT and the PCT because you said when you started out on the AT that you felt the support, you had family and friends within, you know, at, at most a couple of hours from the trail. But going to the PCT, uh, there are a lot of parts of that trail that are inaccessible. You know, you, you could be, you know, to hike out it uh, could be a, a one or two day, you know, full bore hike to get to uh, the next town. It's pretty remote in places. And so I wanted to talk to you about how you dealt with that. But it sounds like you brought some of your trail family with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that that was great. That that worked out. Um, it just couldn't have got much better. Cause I, yeah, I really didn't know very many people along the PCT. I made friends with people that kind of had some connections and that was helpful. And I knew that I, would made some good connections in Washington. So once I went North on the PCT, so I knew that when I was going to get to the the finish line that um, as kind of a a celebration that once I'd made it that far, um, even just to the, the border, there were people that I would, be able to call if I needed. Um, but once I got there that I'd be in touch with folks. So I had that to look forward to the whole way instead of the opposite on the AT of kind of having training wheels for the first thousand miles and then being a little bit looser with it.
1: Good point. Good point. And so what were the dates of your PCT hike in 2019?
2: Yeah. So I started the PCT on May 4th and I finished on October 7th. Uh, so just over a month for that one. Or five months. Five months. <laughs>
1: five months. Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little longer than a month. Yeah, just over. Yeah, five just
2: months. over a month. Yeah.
1: So twenty six hundred miles, five months. What does that work out to be your your daily average there?
2: Um, I this is I should have had it pulled up. So I one of my things I do on the trails. I, I am a diligent note and statistic taker of everything. You struck, I, I you struck
1: me. You struck me as a statistics guy. So
2: Yeah, so I've I've written up um both. Um after the AT and the PCT, um I've I've got articles that I've written up where I I kept track of every single thing that I could count during a day. Um like obviously my miles, um I had a Fitbit, so I had my step count. Um and so I and I ran the data on that. So I had like um how many um like steps it took to hike a mile in each state on the AT and then same broken down by section on the PCT. Um And then like how many times I would pee during a day and how many liters of water I drank so I could like track my water consumption and how efficient I was with water um, conversion throughout each of the different sections, Um, like how many beers that I drank in each section and how many of those were free versus how many I paid for. So I've got all my statistics written out. Um, It's it's a couple of fun little articles. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Prof, where, where can we find these? Tell me these are online somewhere.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I published both of these on the Trek
1: Okay. Very good. I was going to ask you about, about uh, you, be, you being a writer for the Trek. So we, yep. we can look, we can look that up. We can look up Carl Stanfield or prof under the Trek and find those articles.
2: Yep. Yeah. Just PCT numbers or AT numbers. And, and both of those should pop up.
1: Fantastic. And what was the highest daily total for, for a number of P's?
2: Oh yeah, uh, somewhere in the low teens. I think I maybe hit fourteen one time. <laughs>
1: that, that's running a lot of water through that body. Very good. That's a lot of water. Yep. <laughs> what was your high mileage on the PCT? Did you do the Oregon Challenge?
2: Um, I uh, I wanted to, but I got Giardia in Oregon, so I'll Ooh. I'll get to that. But my my high mileage I did in Northern California. I'd set out. Um, I I'd, I'd heard of people trying to do something like eighty miles in twenty four hours. And I thought, oh, man, that's intense. I wonder if I could do that. Cause I, I liked pushing it. One of my favorite things, I love being with a group and taking our time and enjoying towns. I, I love doing that. I took a lot more zeros on the PCT because of the the group that I was hiking with. I took, I took a lot of zeros, spent a lot of time partying in town. But then I liked being by myself and playing catch up and really hoofing it. Um, and so I had... Uh, I set out at midnight um, just after the halfway point on the PCT. So just after uh, Chester and then hiked through, I think Lassen is what's right after that. But I started at midnight and then hiked until about 1030 that night. And I, I put in 63 miles in a day. And so that wow. that, that was my, my capstone. Like, I wonder how many miles I can do in 24 hours. And that's, that's the number I came to.
1: Impressive. Impressive. What was the uh, the most difficult section of the PCT?
2: Um. Yeah, I think that's gotta be yeah. It's gotta be the Sierra. It was 2019. I'm sure you've heard from from other folks that have hiked it that year. That was a really high snow year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I went in not not even early. We started um, the the tail end of June, and so I, I know there's folks that started as early as mid to late May in the snow that year and still made it through. And that that's awesome. More power to them. We, we started, we kind of, you know, starting May 4th, I'd, I'd heard ahead of time, it was going to be a high snow year. And so I tried to get a later date for, for us, for our permit. And so, and also with, with trying to get permits for four people on the same day, um, kind of a, a little bit of a later start date was easier to coordinate. Um, and so the snow was tricky and it was, and we had our group, so it was the four of us and that, that group that I went out with, and it actually changed. It wasn't the same four that I started with. Um, but four of us hiking through and spending all day, every day together. Um, it was, it was physically tough. And then the group dynamics got tough too of just balancing everybody's mental health with the difficulty of that. And there, there were some sketchy sections, um, of, of coming down, especially coming down Glen pass was, was one of the most, um, mentally exhausting of just being kind of, you know, a little bit freaked out being on snow and coming down something steep that, you know, we're just really not too sure about that was tough. Um, so the Sierra was, it was beautiful. Um, it was, it was fantastic. It was also one of my favorite sections mm-hmm. f- for sure. Um, but it, it was tough just balancing everybody's emotions through all that of, of the fear and the the desires and how fast we should try to do this and, and all that kind of stuff. What was especially difficult, but then just the snow hiking and just the mental toll of, of post holing and being exhausted to go, you know, 15 to 20 miles, after having cruised 25 to 30 miles, it's just, it's tough.
1: Yeah. Post-holing is not fun.
2: It is not. Uh-uh.
1: And, uh And other than the, the Giardia, which we're going to hear about, any, any close calls in the Sierras?
2: Um, no, nothing too bad. The river crossings were actually relatively tame. Mm-hmm. Um, they were okay at that point. We just kind of hit a good balance of it. Um, Glen Pass was a little bit sketchy. Of of coming down it not being too sure exactly which way to go, Um, having to use my ice axe a little bit, and the rest of my group members also. I mean, we got to the point where we were just kind of turning around and facing the snow and and, you know digging fists and feet in to kind of climb down like a ladder. It took a a long time to climb down, but it was yeah that that was a pretty mentally exhausting bit, Um, and then. And then coming towards the end of it, it was kind of nice because at the start, we were hearing from the the JMT hikers that were going south. Um, their their news was good and reliable. And hey, this pass is gonna be sketchy, this is tough, but kind of going north, you do some of the tougher stuff first and it gets easier from there. So having done the tougher stuff, they they've just started out and hey, this pass is going to be really tricky for you guys. And we said, okay, this next one's gonna be tricky for you. And then we get to that one and like, ooh, if they saw this one was tricky than that, this next one that they're coming up on going south is gonna be really tough. Um but uh, for the for the most part, yeah, we had the one pass that was tricky. The river crossings were okay, um, and we just kind of took our time, especially after the first couple of days, and said, "Hey, we just need to stay together as a group. This is kind of sketchy. This is kind of scary. Um, I, I feel like we can do this together, but we we need to take this seriously." Um, and, and we did, and we had a good time.
1: Yeah, it's always a a, a huge benefit to encounter hikers coming the opposite direction because you have that. Ex- oh yeah, you have that exchange of information and and trail conditions and crossings and everything else so that's always very helpful now no problems with evolution creek or bear creek the crossing of those no
2: yeah they they were all right um i want to say one of them was i only got waist deep i think one time i think we again we just got lucky if hitting it at a good time where the snowmelt wasn't too extreme but it was low enough that the snow wasn't all that bad um but uh yeah, just just taking our time, taking our routes, and then kind of spotting each other. It all it all felt all right. Yeah,
1: and you you mentioned something about the mental health of the four of you. What kinds of issues were you, were you guys dealing with out there? I mean, was it just the post-holing and just you know being frustrated at at the the pace, or were there other things going on?
2: Sure. Yeah, that was definitely part of it. Um, just anxiety and just like we uh, the 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 four of us, we ended up we were together all day every day for like the first 84 days straight on the trail which is a just a long time to spend with anybody (laughs) um and so i had my, my four that i started out with and then we met four other people on day one and then we were a group of eight for a while and that that dwindled down to four and then it was it was the four of us all day every day um you know hiking apart but still usually eating lunch together always camped out together um so we, we were really close, but we also just like in in high tension like that, just, you know, being tired and frustrated with yourself and then, you know, looking around and, and, and dealing with other people and maybe just want to be by yourself. You have to be with other people. It, it just um, just like the necessary kind of storming phase of, of, of the group dynamics. Um, that's just just part of what happens. Um, but it, it came at at a physically tough time as well
1: yeah there's no hiding on the trail you're with you're with each other 24 7 basically in high stress situations and you know it's going to get raw sometimes
2: yep it absolutely is and will and did
1: like like your inner thighs on the at (laughs) it's going to get raw same same thing (laughs) very good tell us about the the giardi how'd that happen
2: Yeah, well, I had uh, instilled a false sense of confidence from drinking water in the Sierra, um, of drinking all this this delicious water above ten thousand feet and not filtering and not getting sick from that, and thinking like, oh, this is great. I should do this more often. So then, Oregon was a section of trail where I um, I had had been by myself in Northern California to catch up, and then I did catch up, um, but we were still trying to push so then I caught one of my friends and we're trying to catch up to some of the rest of our trail family and so within that we were pushing higher mile days and I just got lazy and like I'm above 8,000 feet that feels pretty high I can probably just drink out of this water source I should be fine so I filtered 100% of the AT I filtered all of the PCT until the Sierra and then didn't filter above 10,000 feet had no issues with that but then in Oregon I I just got a little bit too cocky with the water and I paid for it um but it, it came at the best time possible um, in that I, w- I caught up to one of my good friends, um, Hot Take, who I uh, met on the trail at the beginning. We hiked most of the trail together um, and I caught up to him. We were hiking together and he had a friend who um, she and her boyfriend met on trail on the PCT and they had inspired him to hike and they live in Bend, Oregon. And so we went to stay with them, um, had a great time with them. I, I had a friend that I didn't even know lived in Bend until the day before. They texted me and said, hey, how's the PCT going? And then I, they said they moved to Bend, so I got to see them that night. And so um, anyway, so I, I stayed with, uh, um, I can't remember their trail names. We called them by their actual names. When we were there. It was Abby and Danny. We stayed with the, the two of them, got back on trail. And then I started feeling sick um, five or six days later. I was camped at the base of the hike up to uh, Timberline Lodge. There's um, a little parking lot that's there with an outhouse. And so I set up my tent next to that kind of late at night Uh, Timberline Lodge is famous for being like probably the best meal on the whole PCT. And I was a reasonable hike away from it in the morning. Um, so I was, I was going to be able to wake up and hike there and have this great breakfast buffet, but I just was miserable that night. Um, I never threw up, but I just had the worst diarrhea, um, camped next to an outhouse. So again, I was in a great place for it and I had cell phone service, so I I didn't know what was going on. Um, I actually, I got the norovirus on the AT, um, but that was gone within 24 hours. So this felt kind of like that. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to take an on trail zero. I'll lay here. I'll sleep it off. I'll get up and I'll keep going the next morning. And it, it did not get better um, and I, I was just like totally emptied my body of fluids in this outhouse and was just not feeling good. So I, I was camped out and I was texting and I, I was I, I texted uh, Abby and I was fishing a little bit and I said, hey, Abby, I'm here. I feel terrible. What are your recommendations of a place to stay that's near here? Um, since, since, you know, the area, what, what could I do to, to get off from here? What do you think I should do? And she said, Oh, well, I'll just come pick you up and you can stay with us at our, at our place in Bend until you feel better. And just like, perfect. That's awesome. I didn't want to ask for that, but I'm so glad she offered that. Um, so I ended up staying with them. Um, I think I took, it was either five or six zeros, um, recovering from it while I was back there. But the night that I was, I was camped out by this outhouse, there's no water or anything nearby. And I had a little bit to get through the day, but I wasn't eating and I was really pushing fluids. And I got so thirsty that night at 3 a.m. I reached back and I I had I carried contact fluid with me. And so I, I thought in my dehydration that like, ah, maybe, you know, this is saline. It's got a little bit of salt in it. I think maybe this would be something good to drink. And so I poured, just squirted a little bit in my mouth, and nope, that's, that's not going to help the situation at all. Um, hey, so, hang
1: on a sec. <laughs> hang on a sec. You're, you're considering drinking your contact solution. Did they cover this in the, in the Willie program? Was this, you was know, this a viable option <laughs> They said, uh, hey, when in doubt, if, you're, if, you're, if you think you're not going to make it, just break out the contact solution. You'll be all right.
2: It had never come up before. It seemed logical enough at the time. I do not recommend it.
1: Okay, is that is that a pro tip? It's too early for the pro tip. Sorry, <laughs>
2: yeah, that, that's, that's a pre pro tip.
1: Okay, very good. And I also have to say that I can't wait to go on the uh, the Trex website and pull up your stats to check out your your diarrhea stats uh, next to the outhouse. So
2: yeah, yeah, have fun were, with you, that. Were,
1: were you were you keeping <laughs> track of that as well?
2: Uh, I did a little bit. Um, I did not publish that information though. Okay, that's not that's not on the list.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go back to uh, a similar concept that we talked about on the AT top three moments from the PCT. Can you, can you distill it down?
2: Ooh, yeah. Uh, again, I'm sure that I can. Yes. Okay. Um, so let's see a good, um, I, I think, okay. So it's, it's a little bit of a cop out, but it's kind of the same moment on the PCT. Um, but in its own PCT way of, um, I I, I flew to LA and stayed with a friend there Um, and got to catch up with someone that lived in the area. And then she drew me down, drove me down to San Diego and I stayed with Scout and Frodo there. Yes. Um, Finally,
1: I've I've talked (laughs) to someone who stayed with Scout and Frodo. I had Scout. uh, He was uh, season one, I think episode 48. Yeah, I listened to that one. Yeah. He came on and talked about his book, Journeys North, his his 2007 uh, PCT memoir. So he was great to talk to. What a great guy.
2: Yeah, just just man, what a what a great guy. Um, Frodo was actually not there; she was out of town for something, so I only got to meet Scout. Um, but I like I've heard all these stories. Everybody talks extremely highly of him, and even so, he surpassed my expectations. Wow, um, Tyvek, very good. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've got what 40, 50 people at their house every night, and I got there um, and needed Tyvek. I I was gonna go pick up Tyvek. I got there late enough in the day, hilled around enough. And I was meeting up with my friends here too. I hadn't seen them very much since our last through hike. And then meeting up with everybody again for chapter two was exciting. Um, meeting a uh, scout there, meeting all the other new hikers, all that was exciting, but I, I missed getting Tyvek and I, I, I talked to scout about it and he said, Oh, you know, the outdoor store is going to close. Um, but I, I know the guy that runs the place over there. Let me give him a quick call. He kind of lives over here. He might be able to drop some by. Um, so, so me like an ex- experienced through hiker, just making a dumb mistake. Like, Oh, I forgot to get Tyvek. And scout goes out of his way, managing all this other stuff. Frodo's not even there. He calls him up and gets him like you know, pulls his whatever scout magic that he's got and got the guy to come by and deliver four pieces of Tyvek for me and all my friends that night. Um, and just went out of his way to do that for us in the midst of everything else that was going on. And then goes and delivers, um, you know, the after dinner talk that, that's that's very famous that he always does. And it he gave the information and presented as if it were the first time he were telling it i mean you know he's talked to he's a fantastic storyteller Mm -hmm. but he just has the the energy as if it's the like these are he really does know that like these are all people setting out for their their maybe their first through hike or the beginning of this through hike and just like really instills a sense of wonder in everybody for what's going on and so getting to not only meet this person that's such a legend, but be hosted by and have him go out of his way to do things for me and get the full treatment was, was just amazing. Like what a cool start to the trail. Um, and just the, the buzz about that is a totally different start than the AT of like rolling up probably in the rain because it's the AT being alone on Springer mountain and just like, well, I guess this is it. I guess I'm starting here, but like that's exciting in its own way. But the PCT, like, starting at Scout and Frodo's with that whole experience of like rolling up to the the monument, with like 40 other people like that, that's a send off. Like that's a totally different experience to start on the nice. trail, but man, it, it's something special. That was really cool.
1: Okay. There's number one. How about the next two?
2: Yeah, that, that was a great time. Um, let's see. Um, I think I would say, just like the all all of the sierra as an experience Mm -hmm. um everything leading up to it all of like the fear mongering um but then our like rationalization of things um like hey some of us have experience and have hiked in snow before like what does this actually look like and like coming through that and then deciding that we were going to so all of that process because up until the sierra the sierra is all that you talk about on the trail Right. Um, you know, there's other stuff that's going on, but, but that is what the gossip is about. That's what everyone, everybody's minds. Um, it was nice. It helped us slow down. I took more zeros than I might have otherwise just hanging out and like, we're in no rush to get through. We got to wait for the snow to melt. Let's just hang out here another day. Mm -hmm. um so it took plenty of years leading up to it but just that whole thing of um of wrestling with it and just that challenge that was unlike anything i'd experienced before of of like it's it's you know we're seven days into this we're looking at conditions for something that's 600 miles ahead of us um and then concerned about that and knowing it was going to be just a beautiful fun section to hike through and then getting there and then it was um we had a good experience on mount whitney um got to summit that with our our crew um getting to be that level of alone. There were other hikers out there, um, other thru-hikers, other JMT hikers coming south, but not very many of them. You know, you're not seeing day hikers or anything like that. So people that are out there, even though you're not, maybe don't even know very well, might know their name, but they're going through the same thing as you are. And just that micro community that's out there doing that together is really cool. Um, when you get into town, it's a lot of fun. Like finishing the, the seven or eight day stretch that we did between resupplies to get to Mammoth going into Mammoth and just celebrating that we made it Mm -hmm. through the longest stretch, like the longest food carry, you know, carrying eight days of food in a bear canister um, and knowing you're not going to have cell phone service that whole time. But just so many little celebrations and difficulties and challenges all all associated with the Sierra, all of that, um, as difficult and frustrating as it was at times like that, that challenge and going through that difficulty as, as a trail family and as an individual, uh, was just, was really powerful. So that, that, that was top moment for sure. Yeah, a Series I, of moments. Really. I, I
1: think that, you know, we don't, we don't have a tendency to remember the easy things. It's always the, the, the difficult stretches or the things that come right after the difficult stretches that really stand out the most.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. How about number three?
2: All right. And then to top it off, uh, again, I'm going to go to the end of the trail. Um, we got to the end in Washington. It was, it was late September and I had a friend that came out to join me on the trail um, that I, I knew from when I had lived up there. And he joined me for a little bit for a couple of days. We ended up having to bail early from that section um because he had he, he's an in-shape guy. He's a climber, uh, active person. He he tried to jump into twenty-five to thirty miles a day with me for a couple of days. Um, which you, you just you can't do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did, he did great. Um, we got through the first day just fine, got through most of the second day until about midnight. Uh, and then he just totally gave out on him. So, so anyway, so he, we coordinated all this stuff. He got off trail. I had a couple other friends that were there, but that was right at the spot. Um, that is uh, Stevens pass on uh, Leavenworth, which is a 45 minute drive from the camp that I had worked at while I was there. And so I still had friends and and a cousin that worked there. Um, And they had extra cabins. And long story short, uh, a big snowstorm ended up coming in. So it was a great time for us to have bailed off trail. And we ended up hosting 13 thru-hikers, went and stayed at the camp for the whole weekend. (laughs) So we had a little mini uh, uh, camp experience at the very end of September. They got a pretty early snow Um, in late September like that. It it was pretty heavy. Um, They were concerned about folks that were out there. A lot of folks um, ended up um, deciding to end their through hikes because of it, Um, just not feeling comfortable with the snow. And there was some serious snow that was going on there but I, it just lined up perfectly to where the the mileage worked out. But we, we finished on a Friday and then 13 of us hikers stayed at the camp and they had plenty of leftovers, the meals they were able to feed 13 hikers for a weekend. It just is like the dream scenario. So there were 13 of us, there were cabins for us and everything. Um, So we just hung out for two days and rested up, um, got on, you know, got on the internet, looked at supplies, went into town, got some extra warm layers, everything that we needed to for the final stretch. And then that last stretch from uh, from Stevens Pass up to the border was maybe my my favorite couple weeks of backpacking um, or week. I think it was a week. Yeah. My favorite week of backpacking I've ever done. Um, Just the snow was perfect. It was it was a little bit difficult at times. For the most part, it was just that perfect, fresh, frosty snow on all the mountains. So everything looked clean, clean white snow. We were some of the first to get to travel through some of it. Um, it didn't snow on us at all. It was just beautiful landscapes of that really nice transition. Cause fall was also still kind of like, there were some good fall colors out mixed in with the, the start of the white and the snow. And, um, and it, it was just beautiful up in the Cascades and finishing. And we had, um, uh, you know, the 13 of us that had set out from the, uh, the camp together and we, we ended up splitting up, but we still, you know, I got to finish with a bunch of my good friends that I had, um, been hanging out with since parts of the desert even and uh not the crew that i started with but still finished with a, a fantastic crew um and just just like some of the most beautiful like like perfect scenic weather that i've ever experienced backpacking that felt really special um to get to experience
1: what an epic finish to uh, to the pct that sounds like an incredible trip and i have to ask if you if you knew by the time you were finishing up the AT that you're going to do the PCT. At what point did you know that you wanted to be a triple crowner? Was that uh, just a, a foregone conclusion by that point?
2: Oh, Oh, definitely. Yeah. I started to dream about it when I was planning for the AT. <laughs> just kind of looking at it and like, oh, maybe if this goes well, I'll get to plan some of these other hikes too. But I know I won't get too much into that yet. Okay. Um, but then going through the AT and then knowing that like the the PCT was coming up, like, oh, if I can do like doing good on the AT, I think I'll feel good on the PCT. And then, and then I've just got to do the CDT.
1: Okay. Now we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to get to – I'm going to say it the spectacular fashion in which you plan to complete the Triple Crown because uh, you've got something really special in mind. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. The John Freakin' Mearpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence-inspiring education that empowers outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance and durability enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident in. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultralight. And welcome back. Prof, as as I alluded to in the very beginning of the episode... And again, as we went to break, you've got some pretty special plans for 2022 and getting this whole triple crown thing under your belt. So I know we've been making our listeners wait uh, for the third segment here to find out what what your plans are. Why don't you, why don't you spring it on them? What's, what's going on in 2022 for you?
2: Well, it's been a hot minute since I've gotten to do a through hike. Um, some, some wild stuff's going on in the world. I've had a lot of time to, to sit at home and to think and to plan and to scheme. And so I, my, my brain has taken me to want to put together something, um, just as epic as I can dream of. And so next year I am attempting what I believe to be, um, the record for the most miles traveled on foot in a calendar year. And so I am attempting to hike, uh, and backpack 11,000 miles in 2022 um, across the, the, the three Triple Crown Trails and then some.
1: Okay. Because the three Triple Crowns by themselves, three the three Triple Crown Trails add up to, what is it, about 7,700 miles?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Depending on, you know, which routes you take uh, on the CDT, somewhere, right. somewhere in there. Yeah.
1: That's right. And so you've got 11,000 planned and you haven't found anywhere else uh, someone who's done that money in the calendar year
2: yeah so the closest that i found is um just like me want one, one of the the greatest adventurers and backpackers that's out there um uh his name's cam honan or uh swami uh and he he did the the, the triple crown and then some he did his i, I don't want to to mess this up um but i, I want to say that the 12 great walks something like that that he did uh, a few years ago um that over the course of I want to say 18 months, he hiked about 14,000 miles. But so part of that was in one calendar year, he hikes about 10,000 and two or 300 miles uh, in a calendar year. And I, and I believe that that is the, the current record.
1: Okay. So take us through, what, what are you going to do in addition to the 7,700 miles of, well, actually I take that back because you're not doing, you're not doing the uh, uh, all three of those trails in 2022, you, you've got something else planned. So take us through what, what are the, what are the mileages and the, the trails that you're hiking in 2022?
2: Yeah. So actually my, my inspiration for this came, I was, uh, I was reading, uh, legends book. I was reading the free outside and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and studying up. And I, after the PCT, um, I was starting to kind of dream about, like, I, I can do a through hike. I want to really test myself. I wonder if I could do a counter year triple crown. Um, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to try that, I may as well just shoot for everything. And so I had also heard around the same time about through hiking the Florida Trail and seeing the time frame for that, um, and seeing how late that you know the, the calendar Triple Crown typically starts. If you're going um, AT, PCT, CDT, they usually don't start till February or March. And that the Florida Trail you start first of January. And so um, I, I also heard about the Eastern Continental Trail and connecting. Um, from Key West up into Canada, and so I, I think that it's possible to be able to start and um, in in Key West and hike through the Keys, hike through the Florida Trail, and and pretty much hike the Eastern Continental Trail to start things off. Um,
1: uh, hang on, hang on, Prof. Is for so for the Eastern Continental Trail is the AT a subsection of that?
2: It is, yes, yeah. Okay. It makes up, Yeah.
1: Okay, so you will. I mean, you're. I'm gonna let you go through your plans here, but but you will have feet on each of the the triple crown trails
2: yeah yeah so it, that includes uh, the entirety of the appalachian trail
1: okay as all part right.
2: of it all right yeah so it's it's um the the going through the keys up through the florida trail some road walks in alabama to connect up to the pinhody trail that connects to the and Mackay trail and that connects to uh to springer mountain and then you, you hike the at and then the international appalachian trail goes on up into canada um, but I am not going to try to do that. I'm going to finish at the border. So I, I think it'd be cool to hike border to border on all three of the triple crown trails. So starting okay. at, uh, at Key West and then hike up to the Canadian border, um, which is, is not too much farther past the um, okay. And so I think I, I'm even only going to go, I'm shooting to go maybe just like 80 miles past it. The the trail takes a, a hard beeline North when it gets within a mile or two of the border and you just kind of follow the border for another, um, I don't know, a, a good number of miles, maybe 30, 40 more miles. Um, but I think I just to save on time, just hiking to the border and going and tagging the border is, is going to be good enough for what I'm, I'm hoping to do. So finish up there. Um, okay. and then, Uh, depending on snow level oh go ahead
1: i was gonna say you know who might be a good resource for you to to kind of check with and and get his insight is uh jupiter from the jupiter hikes uh youtube channel
2: oh yeah 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 that's another one i've been following along with i know he did the ect a few years ago right yeah
1: and also i wanted to follow up you're going border to border what what's the what's the southern border of key west what was what country does it border
2: um well, i guess you know i don't know if it's i'm just i'm, <laughs> it's, <yanky>. it's the, <laughs> I, I'm pulling your leg don't worry about it <laughs> i'm i'm calling it a border there you it's, go you know, i'll go with it's, that it's as yeah. south as you can get in the at that's in the, right i mean in in the u.s that's as, yep. as close as you can get from me
1: okay all right so you do the eastern continental trail and then where do you go from there
2: yeah and then from there depending on snow levels um i'm gonna hike north on either the pct or the cdt Um, I'd like to do the CDT first because I would like to try to do the PCT southbound to have a different experience there. Um, doing, doing trails a second time, I just would like to have as much of a different experience as possible. Um, and you know, already the the pace that I'm going to have to try to attempt is going to make it different enough. But, um, the, like the AT I'll do largely, I mean, pretty much entirely in the winter, essentially. So that's going to be a, a rather different experience than what I had last time. And then the PCT, I'd like to be able to do south. So I, I would like to be able to do the CDT north um, right after finishing up um, at the Canadian border in Maine.
1: Okay. And, and, go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah. So, so I'll, you know, I'll hike both of those. And then I, I think that would take me into late October, early November. And so then again, looking around at like, well, what can you really hike then? And it's not ideal, but I, my, my three week expedition that I did in college, um, I did in North Carolina. And so I think that would be a neat way to kind of wrap things up. And so, and also at that point, it's the, the mileage I've got right about between like 95 and 9,800 miles at that point to get through all those trails. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then if I, if I hop over, um, I, I like the sound of the mountain sea trail in North Carolina um, of a state that I have connections with, um, that that's been really important. I took my very first backpacking trip there, um, with, with my dad when I was 18, I did my, my big expedition when I was in college in North Carolina. And so I'm going to start at the coast, which it starts also at the beach that my family grew up going to over there on the coast of North Carolina, um, mm-hmm. at, uh, at Nags Head and then down at Topsail Island, um, and then cut across West and then it finishes at Clements Dome, which, that's neat that that was where my first backpacking trip also ended, right. um, and then from there I'm, I'm actually going to uh, connect back up and to get the mileage. What, what for the way I've I've mapped it out, and I, you know, things will happen. There'll be fire detours and different detours in, on the CT, all that kind of stuff. So Won't be exact, but from uh, Clements Dome, I'd like to hop on and um, finish up the Benton Mackay Trail, hiking south, and then finish everything uh, at Springer Mountain to get my 11,000 miles completed at the the beginning of the AT which at the end of uh of next year of 2022 um i'd like to finish on my 30th birthday which will be december 23rd of 2022 that just seems like a, a nice kind of uh romantic ending to the whole thing doing 30 miles a day for my 30th year of life and culminating where all my hiking uh began
1: that's a big bow on the package there very nice
2: yes yes yeah so these these are my dreams these are my goals i love to plan i've got the whole thing written out um of course i'm just talking about doing it right now i could very well get out and uh my hike could very well easily end in florida (laughs) so it's fun to talk about it's fun to dream it's fun to scheme i have absolutely not done any of this yet um i think i might be crazy enough to have what it what it takes mentally to get through this um and i uh i I, yeah, I want to give it a shot. I'm, I'm getting older in my life. So that, that's part of it too, is that I am turning 30 is I, you know, I, I still feel young and I think I will be young inside for a long time, but my body only has a few more years before it starts going the other direction. So it feels like if I'm ever going to attempt attempt any kind of great athletic feat like this, I think now, now is my time in life. So I'm going for it.
1: Okay. So the finish date is hopefully December 23rd. What is the start date on the Eastern continental trail in Key West? January 1 January 1 okay giving yourself 363 days very good that's
2: it yeah I'm gonna try to use well, the whole well, thing
1: not 363 I guess it's uh what would it be 358 something like that so. yeah,
2: yeah right and then you know if I don't finish on my birthday I still have a week of, of leeway that's built in there right to still get it in in the year yeah Smart. so it works out uh-huh. Smart.
1: <laughs> very good hey prof you know where we are
2: uh i think i might have an idea why don't you tell me
1: we are at that time of the episode where i ask for your pro tip insight of the week what uh what little secret uh insight piece of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better
2: yes so this is a tip that i picked up in my second through hike um has to do with water filtration um and i learned this before i even got giardia uh but water filtration is important obviously um (laughs) Anybody that's familiar with long distance hikes and the gear associated with it is familiar probably with the Sawyer Squeeze. I learned that backflushing the Sawyer Squeeze is so much easier if you give it just a little tap on a rock or uh, a log or something like that. It just loosens up the dirt like crazy and you can really clear it out. It's wild. I, You know, I'd, I'd back flush just about every time I used it and I would blow out till I could see clear water and that was great, but it'd still be kind of slow. But I, I in um, I think in Julian on the PCT, just in the first little bit, some of my my friends had said like, oh, you know, if you tap your filter, you can get a lot more of the dirt out. And sure enough, you give it a little tap um, and it, it really starts to pour out and you can clear your filter up a lot better. So that's maybe people already know that, but that's just a tiny thing that made my life so much easier when I heard it. So if you've got a Sawyer squeeze, give it a little tap when you're back flushing, and it's, it's going to go a lot smoother for you.
1: Excellent. You hate to see that slow trickle of water. So that's a that's an excellent pro tip. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This bonus episode for season two is in the books almost I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with prof. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Prof, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I, I pretty much post everything just on Instagram. That's about all that I use. And so it's uh, it's prof underscore Carl.
1: Okay. As in professor Carl.
2: As in professor Carl. That's it.
1: There you go. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Prof, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for some adventure media with our listeners. So that would be a book, a movie, documentary, et cetera. Anything out there uh, of particular importance to you that, that you think that every intrepid thru-hiker should be uh, exposing themselves to?
2: Yes, I do have a few. Um, and I kept picking some and then seeing that other people had already talked about them. Uh, so I'll give a few. So okay. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed Legends Book, Free Outside. That, that's a really cool, just like objective recounting of what that experience is like. It's a quick, easy read. It, it's a, just a cool experience to see what that was like. Okay. Um, I, I love uh, Pursuit of Endurance by Jennifer Farr Davis. Um that that's really cool. You know, hearing, I expected to kind of hear mostly just her story, but actually it's a recounting of all these other fantastic adventure athletes and their experiences. And it's just cool to see how different people do it. So it's a great way to read one book, get a bunch of different perspectives. Um, Journeys North is maybe my favorite trail related book that I've ever read. Um, Man, it, it just, He's a great storyteller in person, and he's really just as good on paper. Yeah, scout Barney, knows how to, Barney, how to write a story. Yeah,
1: Barney Scout, man, that was an that was outstanding book. It was excellent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, my last one that's a cool little kind of history book that's just that's just mind-blowing uh, is Grandma Gatewood's Walk, um, about the first woman to through hike the Appalachian Trail. That's this old woman that did it way back in in some ways kind of saved the Appalachian Trail by bringing more notoriety to it by what she was doing out there. And uh, the, the, I can't remember the author's name, but the, the guy that wrote it just strung together the story really well of kind of telling about her personal, her, her own life growing up to get to where she was as someone that grew up in the time period that she did, and then what her, her journey was like of, of being one of the 1st through thru-hikers out there.
1: Outstanding. Those are all fantastic recommendations. Thank you, Prof. Yeah, absolutely. And our final segment, as you may know, is uh, a segment called, What Have I Not Asked You? That you're dying to tell me about this is my catch-all so i don't i don't miss out on any good stuff so
2: perfect yes this is one i okay i thought about what for what could this be what could be a cool thing to talk about here and then i thought of something um my greatest regret in my first through hike was not getting a picture of this guy that i came across and i would love for somebody to maybe have a picture of of this man um his name is Paw, that i met in my first week on the appalachian trail and his name is Pa because his soulmate in life was his dog, uh, his Great Dane named Anna. And when Anna died, he had her cremated and he had her ashes put into a silicone pouch in the shape of her paw and had that subdermally implanted into his sternum. So he walked around hiking the AT with a giant paw sticking out of his chest that was his dog's ashes. It was one of the wildest things I heard on the whole trail. And it was one of those things where I was hearing about it in person. I mean, I saw it. He was hanging out at the shelter with his shirt off, with this paw print sticking out of his chest, and and talking about it like he's telling you, you know, where he was born or something. Like, it's no big deal. Uh, He did say he was the first person to have uh, ever done that, they told him, uh, which I do believe. uh, (laughs) um, But he just fascinating dude, uh, and I never saw him again after that. I really wish I'd gotten a picture of him. So I would love – if anybody, if any of your listeners have heard of Pa or come across Paw or have a picture of Paw, know how to get in touch with Pa, I want to get a picture of, of Pa in my life.
1: Okay, and we're not talking about a, a Chihuahua paw being implanted <laughs> yeah. in her. This is a great Dane paw.
2: Yeah, it's a that's a big old thing to have sticking out of your chest. And it, it, and it's it's her ashes. She's there, she lives on with him. It's a beautiful sentiment, uh, among other things. Uh, but it it is Fascinating. Whatever else it may be.
1: <laughs> well put. Well put. That is a wrap from the John Freaky Muir Studio. Any shout out to friends and family, Prof?
2: Yeah, sure. So yeah, my my parents, my sister, um, my grandparents, uh, everybody that kind of instilled the love of hiking in me. Um, my my camp that I grew up going to, um, Camp John Knox in, in East Tennessee. Uh, my my trail family, uh, just all all those folks, um, Uncle. Wow, Odysseus, Big Money, Jukebox, Peaches, Puff, Hot Take, Wild Card, um, Bullfrog, Ruthless, Snacks, Trap um, uh, Pockets, just uh, so many other folks that are out there, so many great people that meet on trail. Um, thanks, everybody.
1: Okay. And thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're sipping contact solution while you're camping next to an outhouse with Giardia. The trail is the trail. Embrace the (laughs) suck.